0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I am a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. WCC It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, I was thinking we've got like 10 or 12 families absent today and the church is not completely empty. When we first started, if we had 10 families absent, we would have negative two families here. So, <laughs> But I'm glad you're here. I know a lot of folks are gone on a holiday weekend with school being out and everything, but I'm trusting that Lord has you here for a reason. Um, also, I got a cough thing. Hold on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, First time visitors also know this, I rarely do topical sermons, I'm going to do one today, but normally I just go straight through uh, scripture, I'm going to study in Hebrews and we'll pick that up next time I preach, but uh, so we're doing, we typically do verse by verse, but I am doing a topical thing today because this is part two of a sermon, little two-part sermon series I'm doing for graduates. So, I'm going to confess something, in some some ways I'm using this as an excuse to address some issues that I just want to talk about. Um, I believe God has called me as a pastor to share things when I find things that are helpful. So if I find something helpful, if I find something that, that brings honor to the Lord or I think can help somebody get out of some pattern of sin or something like that, then I want to pass that along to my church family and so that's what I'm doing today. So as I said this is part two of a little sermon series to graduates. Last week I focused on a lot of practical stuff um, to our graduates but today I want to address some things that are more specific to our day and time. Hold on a second. So anyway um, I want to address some things that I see on a frequent basis that, as I said, I believe can help our young people. And there are issues that are very prevalent in our culture. All right. So let's jump in. Let's turn to Proverbs 24. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24. Excuse me. Proverbs 24. And this may be my favorite proverb. It's going to be brief, but I did want to mention it. Um, to our grads and young people. I mentioned last week how that we should be people who learn by listening from other people and, uh, and to listen to advice and wisdom from other people, but also God wants us to learn by observation, okay? learn by observation. So this is Proverbs 24, and we got, actually got it on the screen. I'm going to read verses 30 to 34. It says this, it says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. So he goes by this field and a vineyard of this lazy person. And he says, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. So the the field, the vineyard was just a mess. The wall was broken down. It was covered with all these weeds and thorns. And, And then look at verse 32. He says, I saw and considered it. I looked and I received instruction. And then what did he receive instruction on? Verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber. little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So the specific context is about laziness and poverty, okay? That's the context that he learned from this. But really what I want you to focus on is verse 32. He says, I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. So the principle I want you to grasp, especially for young people, is this. Learn by observation. That's what this guy's doing. He's, he's looking at this field or this vineyard and he's learning. He's receiving instruction from this, okay? So what, what that tells us is that God wants you to look around at others and learn, to, to learn from them, okay? God wants you to look at your own life and learn. If you make mistakes or something, then learn from those. To see and consider, to ponder. So if you, for example... And and we're and I'll, I want to stress this again. We're not looking at others to, to sit in judgment or be critical. But if you look at someone else and you see that they've done something foolish or sinful, you can learn from that, right? You don't have to. You don't have to learn by mistakes in yourself. You can learn from other people's mistakes. As I said, we're not we're not we're not looking to try to be judgmental or critical. But if we see somebody who's done something foolish or sinful, we can learn from that. Okay. Uh, because, hey, we all do sinful and stupid stuff all the time, right? So we're not doing this in judgment. Well, we can learn by observing. We can, we can consider and learn. And also, it doesn't have to be something bad. We can also look and see if somebody has a very fruitful life. We can think, okay, what are they doing that is causing this? Like, how can I learn? How can I emulate this person? How can I copy how they're doing? We can learn from them. In the same way, we can learn in our own lives. We can see that we're doing something that's, that's good or bad, and we can learn from it. We don't have to continue repeating the same mistakes over and over. We should ponder this, and we should learn and think and say, well, I need to change something here, okay? So again, that's the basic principle. I'm not going to spend much more time on it, but just learn by observation. So God wants us to learn from advice from other people, but he also wants us to learn by observing and listening. He wants to look at you to look at your own life and grow in holiness Grow in devotion and faith, okay? All right, so that was a general principle. That should have been probably more with last week's sermon because now I want to address four things that are prevalent in our culture, and some of them you're going to like probably roll your eyes at when you hear them because they're kind of odd, but I pray that you'll bear with me because what I see that, that are patterns or common things that are very prevalent in our culture and a misunderstanding about them causes a lot of problems, okay? Okay? Especially the fourth one, that's probably the one you're going to be talking about if we, if we, because that's the one I'm going to spend the most time on. But here are the four. Social media, suffering, consumerism, and codependency. Okay? Social media, suffering, consumerism, and codependency. And I'll explain. Number one is this, social media. This is going to be quick. But young people, here's my advice. Be very skeptical of social media. You're not required... Young people, you're not required to have an active presence on social media. You're not required to have an active presence on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever. I'm just asking you to be very skeptical of social media. Because listen, big tech knows that social media is terrible for you. And they don't care. For example, Facebook or Meta, whatever they're called now, they know, they own Instagram, they know Instagram is toxic for young people. They know that teens using Instagram have higher rates of anxiety and depression. They know it's especially bad for girls and young women. They know this, but they don't care because they make lots of money off of you, okay? If you've ever seen the documentary called The Social Dilemma, I think it's on Netflix now. I would recommend you watch it. And you'll see The Social Dilemma, and what you'll see is that these, these are high-level folks at big tech companies. You know what? They don't let their kids on social media, <laughs> They know it's terrible for them, okay? They're very strict with their own kids. Now, I'm not saying saying you can't have an Instagram account or whatever, all right? That's between you and the Lord, you and your parents, all right? And I understand also there can be a lot of pressure from other kids. It's more pressure when you're young. When you're old, nobody cares, right? But when you're young, there can be pressure to have Instagram or whatever. I'm not saying you can't have an account. I'm just saying be very skeptical of that. In fact, one of the things I'm seeing, and it's actually really encouraging, there are more and more intelligent young people who are just getting off of social media because they know it's bad for them. All right, that's number one, social media. It's quick. Number two is this, suffering. There's going to be a little bit more on this, but suffering. Young people, understand this. You're going to go through suffering. You're going to go through suffering in your life. Jesus even promises. (laughs) This isn't a promise we like. But Jesus promises that you're going to go through suffering. In fact, we have the slide for a couple of verses here. One of them is John 16, This is Jesus. What does he promise to us? He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have suffering. As I said, we don't like that promise, but Jesus promises. Philippians 1:29. Paul says, for it has been granted to you, it's a gift we don't like either, but it has been granted to you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Jesus tells us, Paul tells us, God tells us through Paul, that we're going to go through suffering. Young people, there will be seasons of your life that are really hard. You may be in one right now. Hope not, but you may be in one. Suffering is a part of life in this fallen world. And when you go through suffering, it doesn't mean God hates you. Don't think that. Don't evaluate God by your circumstances. God loves you, but the fact that he loves you, that doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be roses and sunshine every day. Suffering is a part of life in this fallen world. And sometimes a person can live a God-honoring life and make very wise decisions and seek to be obedient to the Lord, and they can still suffer tremendously. That's what the book of Job is all about. Read the first couple of chapters of the book of Job. Most righteous man on earth, and he suffers more than anybody else, right? We'll see this in the sermon series in Hebrews later on. These are people who are faithful to the Lord, and they're martyrs. They suffer tremendously, and they're faithful to the Lord. They're doing the best they can, and they suffer. That's the way it is in life, okay? It doesn't mean the Bible's not true. The Bible's true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and yet... Even if you are faithful to the Lord, and even if you consistently make wise decisions, you're going to go through seasons of life that are really hard. It may be soon, it may be later, but you will go through suffering. And God calls us to be faithful to him during those seasons. And here's the good news. When you go through suffering, Jesus will be there. He will be there. He will never leave you. Our memory verse, in fact, if you want to turn to it, look at Matthew 28. Turn over to Matthew 28, our memory verse. It's the very last, these are the very last words in the gospel of Matthew. Look at Matthew 28. The Great Commission, memory verse for the month of May. Verse 18. What I love about this too, Jesus gives us gospel law gospel and here's what I mean by that gospel is good news promises of God so anything in the scriptures that are is truth and promises that that's gospel Jesus starts out in verse 18 he gives us gospel promises he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me amen that's a promise Jesus has all authority verse 19 is law we're given instructions go there this is the part that as a pastor I focus on go there and make disciples of all nations baptizing them verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you then look at the very last verse very last sentence of the book of Matthew it's more gospel it's more promise Jesus says behold I am with you always always even to the end of the age okay this is a promise that Jesus says he will always be with us Joshua 1.9, I mentioned this last week. Joshua 1, 9 do don't turn there, but, but it says this, Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord is with you. Young people, no matter what you're going through, the Lord is with you, no matter what. And truly, my experience has been the times that we really grow in our faith the most, that happens often when we're going through suffering. Because during those times, the Lord is doing tremendous work. We may not see it. We definitely don't like it. We may not feel it. But our God is at work. Our God is at work in a a huge way during seasons of suffering. So keep pressing close to Jesus when you go through suffering. All right, that's number two. Number three is this, and I'm going to be quick. Consumerism. Young people, just watch out for consumerism in yourself and others. Particularly in yourself, watch out for consumerism. Jesus said this in Luke twelve fifteen. He said, take care. In other words, watch out and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our culture teaches and we have a tendency to believe that if we have more stuff, then we'll be complete. Then we'll be fulfilled. That is a lie. That is a lie, but, but our consumerist culture will tell us this all the time. And the problem, too, is not only do we buy into it, the culture is now has created, because of the culture, it's now created consumerist churches, where churches want to give people what they desire. So we live in this consumeristic, materialistic society, and this, one of the results is we get consumerist churches. So countless churches will recast the gospel in consumer terms. Countless churches cater to the consumer mindset, to the materialistic mindset. You just give them adventure or, or do this, and it's all, it's all this catering to the consumer. But as Eugene Peterson said, he said this. Think about it. Eugene Peterson was a very kind man, and he said this. A consumer church is an antichrist church, and that's true. A consumer church is an antichrist church because Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, right, and take up our cross and follow him. So young people, I'm just asking you to watch out for materialism and consumeristic mindset in your life, okay? Remind yourself that that everything I have is from God and it's to be used for his glory, to rejoice in him, and to bless other people. All right, now the big one. (laughs) Social media, suffering, consumerism, and number four is this one, codependency. Codependency. All right, I've never talked about this, I don't think, in a sermon. If I talked about it, it was years ago. It may have been for 30 seconds. This may seem like a random thing to talk about for graduates, but here's my heart behind it. As I said earlier, one of the things that I believe God has called me to do as a pastor is if I find something or if I begin to understand something better, if I learn something that I think I'm able to serve the Lord better, then as a pastor, I want to find a way to pass that along. And what I found is that understanding codependency is one of those things. Now, I'll say this. When I was younger, if I heard a pastor use a word like codependency, here was my response. That's psychobabble. That's secular psychology. That's not in the Bible, and a pastor shouldn't talk about it. Okay? That was my mindset. Here's why I've changed my mind on that. It's true, the Bible does not use the word codependency. You're not going to find that word in the Bible, okay? But the Bible also doesn't talk about a lot of other things, like post-traumatic stress disorder. Does that mean that PTSD is not a real thing? Most of us understand that PTSD is a real thing. It's a real thing that some people struggle with. Well, codependency is the same way. Now, I'll say this. I don't really like the word codependency, but I'm going to use it because it's the term that our culture uses to describe certain characteristics. And they're really responses to, to things that they've gone through. So the Bible doesn't talk about codependency, but the Bible does talk about things that are wrapped up in codependency like this, fear of man and idolatry and a lack of understanding of responsibilities and identity. So these are real things. As I said, if you don't like the word codependency, that's fine. I'm right there with you, but we have to have some way to talk about This combination of things like fear of man and and lack of understanding about responsibilities that are very common in our day. So if if you can come up with a better term, go for it. But for me, I found it's easier just to use the term codependency. Also, and I would say this to my younger self, does the Bible talk about particular sins or does the Bible just talk about sin in general? That's an easy one, right? The Bible talks about particular sins, in fact, in the book, The Mortification of Sin by John Owen, which our small groups are going through, he talks about the need to address particular sins and not just sin in general. So when you confess your sin to God, you, we don't just say, God, I sinned, we, we need to confess it and acknowledge it and identify it. That's how you grow. So if there is a particular sin or a particular unhealthy practice that is plaguing us, then my belief is that pastors should address it. It's not just enough to just address sin in general. I think that particular problems need to be addressed, and codependency is one of those problems. Also, I'm convinced that the Word of God is absolutely sufficient to address all aspects of life. It's sufficient. And on this issue of codependency, I believe God's Word is sufficient. And I'm not going to shy away from a problem that is very prevalent simply because the world has given it a particular label, okay? And my experience is codependency is a real problem, it's a common problem in the church, and yet the church almost never addresses it. I looked on a website of sermons that I love, and I could find almost nothing on it, okay? All right, so that's what I want to talk about. With that lengthy introduction, I'm going to ask the guys to put up a slide we've got with a couple of verses. and I just get, I'm going to ask the guys just to leave it up because I want God's truth to be up there for a big chunk of our, our, for my sermon. So I've said this, at the top you can see idolatry, we're talking about the issue is idolatry, obsession of another person, that's idolatry, fear of man, and also in fear of man, what that means is people are big and God is small. And so the verses I've got up there, the first one is Proverbs 29, 25, it has to do with fear of man. The fear of man lays a snare, so it's, it's a, a snare is a trap, it's dangerous, you get stuck in it. It can be fear of man. We'll talk about fear of of somebody abandoning you or somebody leaving you or or somebody getting angry with you. That's that's all fear of man. Fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And then Colossians 3.2, what what I'm going to talk about is putting God at the forefront of our thinking, putting Jesus at the forefront of our thinking. So Paul says in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above not things that are on the earth. In the previous verse, he talks about about where Jesus is. So set your mind on Christ, okay? And so then I've got the little thing at the bottom. It says, the fear of man and obsessing about others, making them an idol is dangerous. And again, I'm addressing young people at this graduation thing, but this is for all of us. Put Christ at the forefront of your thinking, make Jesus big, all right? And I'll describe what I'm talking about. So guys, just leave that one up there. So, codependency, let me, let me just describe codependency a little bit. What is it? It's, first of all, I want to say this, it's not an either-or thing. It's not a person is either codependent or they're not. Really, it is a spectrum of a lot of characteristics. It's really a continuum. And if you are a loving and caring person, and someone you care about is going through difficult circumstances, you're going to have some tendency toward codependency. So if you think about codependency going from zero to 100, in various relationships, we will be on this continuum. Now, the dangerous part is there are people who are more on, they, more of their relationships are what I'm going to talk about being codependent, okay? But really, the only people who have no codependency tendencies at all are unloving people because caring people will have codependent tendencies. So I'm not here to bash codependent people. Because all of us can have this, really, if you're caring and loving. So codependency is really understandable. As I said, all of us are somewhere on the spectrum. It depends on the relationships that we're in. Also, it's very common in the church because as Christians, generally, we tend to be loving and caring people. And we can have a tendency to be codependent simply because we care about people. Okay, So what I'd like to do is briefly describe it if you've never heard of it. then uh, then I'm hoping this will at least generate some interest and for you to thinking about it and, and studying it more. And young people, I'm telling you this because I found that when people begin to understand this and they can see it in themselves or others, it can really lead to wonderful change that allows us to grow in the way that we can love the Lord and serve him and in the way that we can love others. All right, so again, what is it? As I said, almost all of us are somewhere on the spectrum. I'm going to describe the characteristics of folks who are more likely to have unhealthy co-dependent relationships, okay? That's what I'm describing. So here we go. Often, but not always, they'll have lots of guilt and shame. They can have an unstable identity. Their identity, in other words, how they think of themselves is often not at its core the fact that Jesus died for them and that God loves them. And this is true for all of us. All of us can be get away from our identity. But often codependent folks look for their identity and their happiness in other people or in other relationships. So oftentimes codependent folks don't feel like they know who they are because they're so bound up with another person. They can obsess about another person or other people. So sometimes they don't even really know what they're feeling unless the other people, unless the other person is feeling it. So they can be obsessed about this person. If this person's okay, then I'm okay. But if this person's not okay, then I'm not okay. It's that type of thing. They can, as I said, they can really obsess about this person. This person that can be at the forefront of their thinking. So they're thinking about this person all the time. So when someone is at the forefront of your thinking, think about it in, a, in terms of vision, perception. If someone is, is right here at the forefront of your thinking, they look huge, right? They can look just massive. And the problem is, they're big, and then God is in the background, very small. So, so people are big, and God is small. Ed, Ed Welch has written a book called that. When people are huge, we're obsessing about people, and God's just in the background. Jesus is in the background, very small. That's a part of what codependency is. Here's the thing. I would say this to young people and old people. <laughs> Jesus needs to be huge to you. So think of it this way. God, the Lord Jesus, needs to be at the forefront of you're thinking. He, he needs to be what you obsess about, is him, living for him. He needs to be so big and in the forefront of your mind. The other people in your life, they're important, and you're called to love and care for them. But they need to be small compared to God. They need to be in the background. Otherwise, they become your God. That's the issue. They become your God, okay? So for the codependent person, though, it's the other way around. The person is their obsession, and oftentimes, it can be an unhealthy person. This is who they think about all the time. So this, for the codependent person, if this person asks me to do something, even if I don't feel comfortable doing it, or I'm exhausted, or even if it's not my responsibility, it's their responsibility, even then, I have trouble saying no. I'll drop everything because this person is my obsession. And this obsession leads to a fear of man. That's what this issue, that's what we're talking about in Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man. Because the codependent person is saying, if I say no, or if I don't do what they ask me to do, or if I don't drop everything and fix their problem, then they're going to abandon me. Or they're going to get angry at me. That's the fear of man. Or if I do the wrong thing, or if I say the wrong thing, if I don't fix their problems, they'll leave me or they'll get angry with me, and, I'm, and that causes anxiety with me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm scared of that. That's fear of man. Now often, not always, not always, I don't want to You know, paint a broad brush, but often a codependent person grew up in a chaotic home, an unstable home. So often there was always a crisis. It was always drama. It was unstable and chaotic. And now this person may feel... That life is boring or meaningless if they're not involved in a crisis. So for some codependent people, they're always drama. It's just one crisis after another. In fact, if there's not a crisis, they can start feel anxiety, start building up within them. That They feel like they have to be a crisis going on. And why? Because often their identity is tied up in fixing a crisis or fixing another person's problem. And if there's not a crisis, then who am I? I'm not, I'm not able to fix this, this issue. So anxiety can start to build up if there's not a crisis. So people with these tendencies can end up fixating on other people's problems. Another person may not even have a problem or may, may be very minor, but codependents often look for problems and they can end up thinking that another person has real issues or, or difficulties and they can obsess about them Even when in reality, it's not even that much of a problem, it's a minor thing. Because codependent people often, excuse me, often they don't just want to help others. They feel compelled to help others. They have to help others. They feel compelled to fix other people's problems. And this is an issue of identity. Because they think, if I'm not helping and fixing another person, if I'm not stepping in to help, then who am I? Their identity is tied up in being a fixer or a caretaker. So they feel compelled to take control of other people and to fix their problems. They feel compelled. They just have to do it. They have to be caretakers. As I said, oftentimes they're very loving and caring. They're giving. And they feel a strong need to take care of others. And that can be wonderful. But it can be this unhealthy and and end up being this sinful way because this is an issue of identity. Identity. Our identity fundamentally is, is, it must be this, that God loves me. That Jesus died for me. He's with me. That's who I am. And nothing can change that. But for the person with tendencies toward codependency, and all of us have this, right? All of us have this. But they're, they're, with strong tendency, there can be the t- tendency of their identity is I'm a helper. I'm the fixer. And they can think, they probably wouldn't verbalize it this way, but they can feel that I have no worth unless I'm fixing somebody else's problems. So there needs to be a crisis for me to manage in my own life or my own family or with others. There needs to be a crisis for me to fix. And because often they are compulsive caretakers, they often end up attracted to unhealthy people. Not always, not always, but often codependents end up marrying people who are alcoholics or narcissists. They often marry addicts or dysfunctional or immature people. I remember reading a, a, an account of a lady. She was married to an alcoholic. It was miserable for a long time, got divorced. She married the next guy. Guess what? He was an alcoholic. Miserable, terrible, got divorced, ended up marrying a third guy, and she found out he was an alcoholic. So that's an issue, right? Like these are real things that happen. Often, as I said, codependence can end up being very, they can end up being very mature and responsible, but oftentimes they will marry somebody who's very dysfunctional. Because the codependent thinks of this. They think of loving as fixing. I'm fixing somebody else. And if they meet somebody who's healthy and they don't need to be fixed all the time, then the codependent can take it personally and they can feel like I'm being rejected. This person doesn't want my help. They, they don't want to receive love. When really the person is saying, I don't want to be fixed So oftentimes the codependent, the codependents oftentimes are very, they're givers, right? And oftentimes they marry takers. So codependents are caretakers and fixers. And often they end up, as I said, marrying people who are very unhealthy and dysfunctional. Now, again, I want to stress, I'm not throwing people under the bus. All of us have these tendencies. They're very caring and loving. They're often extremely hardworking and dependable. They're super responsible, especially for the well-being of others. But in their desire to help, they can be controlling. And often they do things like control through blame or guilt. That Often they do things for another person because they think that the person can't do these things for themselves. So I'll say this. Yes, we're called by God to help people who are facing hardships. And I'll talk about that in a second. But we're not called to carry burdens of other people that are their daily responsibilities. I'm not the Savior. Right? You're not the savior. I'm not God. You're not God. But ultimately, if I'm always stepping in to be the fixer, then really I'm robbing this person of an opportunity to grow and to learn. To learn how to depend on God. Because God uses trials to teach us. And often, we need, really need to come to the end of ourselves in order to grow and to grow in our trust in the Lord. And often God wants to teach a person by allowing them to reap what they sow. But if I'm always rescuing this person, if I'm not allowing them to experience the consequences of their choices and actions, if I'm always telling them what to do or fixing their problems, if I'm always the Savior, then I could be interfering in the Lord's work. Also, if I'm always doing the thinking for them or I'm telling them what to do, the underlying message is, You can't handle this, right? You can't handle this. I have to fix it for you. I need to fix it for you. Now, when we have children, we want to slowly increase their level of responsibility, right? And a good parent will step in and rescue a child from foolish consequences. We don't just allow our kids, you know, walk off a cliff and say, well, I hope you learn from this, you know. I'm talking about those situations where the person is an adult and someone is still sep- stepping in, whether it's an adult child or a spouse or a friend or whatever, and they're stepping in and repeatedly fixing the problem. As I said, you could have an adult child, but this parent is still fixing all their problems. Or the codependent spouse will fix all the problems of the husband or wife. Or the codependent friend needs to feels compelled. They just have to come in and rescue and fix everything. Because again, they feel, I'm the rescuer, I'm the savior. I'm the fixer. I'll do this for you. I'll make the phone call to get this straightened out, right? Or I'll I'll schedule this appointment for you. Or I'll co-sign on the loan. Or I'll do all these things for you because you can't handle them. But as I said, oftentimes God teaches us through experience. Sometimes we have to fail. As a parent of kids that are in college and now out of college, it's hard to do that, but we have to allow them to do that. Sometimes we have to fail. Sometimes we need to reap what we sow because this is how we learn. This is how we grow. But for the codependent, they feel like they can't allow the person to fail because they think if I don't control this person, then something really terrible is going to happen. So a dysfunctional or immature person, whatever. They can't keep a job. They can't make it to work on time. Sometimes it's addictions. Sometimes it's just immaturity or laziness. But the codependent will think, well, I'll call the boss and lie for you. You know or, or, I'll set up this appointment for you. I'll hold your hand and do all these things for you, even though you should be the one who's, who's doing these things. Also, oftentimes codependent people are, with these tendencies can be hypervigilant. They're on the lookout, and they try to catch a person doing something wrong. So they'll check their phone or snoop around, and check their emails, they'll track where the person is going, because they think this, it's out of love. But they think, if I can catch them doing something early on, then I can prevent something really bad from happening. If I catch them early on doing something, then I'll prevent them from ruining their lives. Whatever's involved, I'm going to check on them and I'm going to intervene. I'm going to be in control and I'm doing this out of love, right? Because I'm thinking, they can't handle these responsibilities. They can't deal with the daily responsibilities of life. So I have to intervene and control. I have to watch them closely and obsess over them and tell them what to do all the time. And... the hard part too. If they don't accept it, if they push back, then they're rejecting my love because I'm doing this out of love. So oftentimes the codependent will control through the passive aggressive thing, right? They sigh a lot. Or they say, "Uh, okay, you go ahead and do whatever you want even though you know it'll break my heart, you know, that type of thing. Or they operate at extremes. They can be obsessed with someone. They can think this person is amazing, incredible, wonderful, but then something can happen and they can flip and they think, I thought that person was amazing. But I was wrong. I see they're absolutely horrible. It's, it's extremes. But all along the person was just like anybody else, right, with both strengths and weaknesses. But a codependent people tend to think in extremes. Or they can go in extreme behavior. They can be very controlling. Okay, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, do that, and then you need to do that. But if they get any pushback, they can take it personally, right, because you're rejecting their love. And then they can go to the other extreme and say, fine, I'm out. I tried to help, you don't want help, so do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, I'm out. They can end up operating at extremes. And oftentimes, because they're very controlling, they can be very rigid. They think, this has to happen. This has to happen. Again, maybe they grew up in a chaotic home and they feel the need to exercise control. So it's totally understandable. And again, it's out of love and concern. But really, underneath it, and they never say this, but really underneath it, they're not trusting God. They're not trusting the sovereignty of God. There's a part of them that thinks, well, I'll wait on God for a while, but then I'm going to step in. i got to take over. But So for all of us, really, we need to ask ourselves when we're, when we're tempted to do this is, this, is this issue even fixable by me, or do I just need to pray and leave it in the hands of the Lord? That's one issue. Is it even fixable? And if it is fixable, we need to ask ourselves, is it my responsibility? Because codependents can have a tendency to think that I have to do this. This is what has to happen. And as a result, and this is a hard part too, and again, I'm saying that this is part of me as well, okay? Codependents can end up being very judgmental, very harsh and critical because in their mind, love means stepping in and fixing things. So if, if they're in a crisis, and they're often in a crisis, but if you're not stepping in and taking over, then you're not being loving. If you're not dropping everything to fix my problems, then you're not being loving. And codependent people can end up feel, feeling like other people are never doing enough. So here's the irony. Oftentimes their lives can just be in crisis, can be dysfunctional. And you would think that that would lead them to extending grace to others, right? If, if I'm struggling and I see other people struggling, you would think that that would lead to grace. And sometimes it does. And, and oftentimes it does in certain relationships. But often they can be very critical of others. And if a codependent person is in a church, they can be very critical of other church members and church leaders. And not always. I'm not saying always. Always. But sometimes codependent people can wear a church out because, they, again, they think real love is dropping everything and obsessing and fixing controlling so they can be very demanding and critical of other folks in the church. And they can expect folks in the church to obsess and drop everything to help them because to them that's love. So oftentimes they can, as I said, wear a church out. They can be very judgmental and harsh in their criticism of other people in the church. And a big part of the problem is this, and I'm about done, it has to do with blurred lines of responsibility, and we have a, a slide on this. And Greg actually preached on this recently. From I want to put up these two verses from Galatians 6, verses 2 and 5. I want us to think a lot about that. Greg did a great job with that. So Galatians 6, 2 and 5 says this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For each will have to bear his own load. That's verse 5. And what I'm saying is we're called to help bear one another's burdens when they're too heavy for them to carry. We are called to do that. But we're not responsible for the everyday responsibilities that are common to all of us. So in the Galatians passage, as I said, Greg did a great job of talking about the difference in that word burdens in verse 2 and the word load in verse 5. In the Greek... That verse, in verse 2, that word burdens is baros. I think that's how you pronounce it, baros. And it means this huge thing in someone's life that's just too much to carry. So if you have a friend or loved one, family member, that has a load that is legitimately too heavy for them to carry, then we're called by God to help them. We're called by God to help carry that burden when it's crushing them, right? We're called to help them. So, so if they're going through something that is, that is too much for them, we're called to help. But then in verse 5, Paul says, for each will have to bear his own load. And that word load is fortion. Greg talked about this. It's a person's daily responsibilities. It's like a backpack, as Greg said. It's your daily responsibilities. And you know what? You're not responsible for my daily responsibilities. You know that? You're not responsible for my daily responsibilities. I am, not you. In the same way, I'm not responsible for your daily responsibilities in your life. It's not my job to carry that for you. So I'm not, the the, the codependent should think like this I'm not gonna intervene and fix all your problems. I'm not gonna rescue you simply because you got yourself in a bind. I'm gonna respect your choices. And I'm going to allow you the opportunity to grow in carrying your own backpack of daily responsibilities. And the beautiful part of this is when you have success, it won't be my success because I'm not doing it for you. It'll be your success. And I'm going to celebrate with you. That's what our attitude should be. I'm going to wrap up. As I said before, almost all of us have at least some tendencies toward codependency. So I would just ask if you see some of the things these things in your own life. And I guess all of us have seen some of these things in our own life. Here's the good news. You're not stuck in this. You're not stuck in this. And actually, what the, the great thing about codependency is, as I, one, as I said, these folks are very loving and caring, so I'm not here to criticize. But, but one of the, another great thing about people with codependency tendencies is this. When, the, when people get clarity on this, they start seeing, because this can be a habit. When people get into the habit of doing this, by God's grace, they can change. The prognosis for people with codependency is really great. There are other things that are not great. I'm not going to go into them, but there are other issues that are not great. But for people with codependencies tendencies, the prognosis is great. Because we can start thinking like this. I need to put Jesus at the forefront of my mind. Jesus is going to be big in my life. The Lord's going to be big. And the people in my life, I'm going to love them. I'm going to care for them. I'm not going to abandon them. But they're not going to be my idol. And I'm not going to obsess over them. Because I must obey God rather than man. I must be true to the Lord and not be a slave to the fear of abandonment. I must put Jesus first, not the wants of this other person. Jesus has to be at the forefront of my thinking. As I said, the prognosis is really great. It may take a while. But, but because habits are hard to break. But you can change. By God's grace, you can change and grow in this. And I'll just say this to my church family. If you want more resources or you want to talk more about this, I'd love to talk with you about it. Okay? If you have questions, if I haven't made something clear, come and talk to me about it. I want to talk with you about it. Okay? I, I, I could talk hours about this. Actually, our family had a conversation last night. It was about, about two hours long about this. Okay? So I could talk about this. But the, but the good news is, look, you can't do anything about the past, right? I can't do anything about even one minute ago. I can't change the past. I can't change things that happened years ago. But going forward, I can, by God's grace, we can change going forward. So wherever you are, wherever you are, go forward with it. Trust in the Lord. Seek to make some changes and go forward with it. You're not stuck. You're not stuck, okay? Okay. So, as I said, the bottom line is this: once we begin to understand our tendencies and our habits in this area, we can grow in. Them. And this is Pentecost Sunday. And by the we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. He can change us and he will change us to grow us in our devotion to Jesus. And actually, the cool thing is a person can grow in this very, very quickly. And if you talk to people who have conquered, come out of codependency, they'll tell you that actually this journey is a lot of fun. It's a joy. The, the journey of following Christ. Putting him first, allowing him to make real changes in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. This journey is one that is an incredible joy. All right, I hope some of this has been helpful. If not, I apologize. But again, graduates, remember my points. Learn by observation. Be skeptical of social media. Understand you'll go through suffering. Watch out for consumerism and then understand codependency. All right, I'm done. Graduates, young people, remember this. The church loves you. This church loves you. Remember that. And even better, the Lord Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, we love you. God, I thank you for just helping me with a difficult message. I pray, God, that uh, I imagine, God, that most of us see these tendencies in ourselves. And, God, I pray, too, that we would, we would think about it in ourselves. We wouldn't think about other people. We think about it in ourselves and not think about it in other folks. So help us to to look at ourselves in this and to grow. And to grow in our faith and trust in you. That, Jesus, you'd be big in our lives and not other people. We would be obsessed with you and, and captivated by you and love you and not be obsessed with other people. And that we would have a healthy fear of you, Lord, which is love and respect and admiration and not fear other people. So help us in that. Holy Spirit, you can do it. You do do it. So I pray you'd help us in that. And also, Lord, if I have said something that is wrong or, or if I've come across as, as critical or judgmental, I'm sorry. And I pray that people would know that I'm not trying to do that. I pray if anybody's struggling right now, that they would know that my heart is not to hurt. It really is to help. So I pray you'd, I pray you'd reveal that to them, that I'm not trying to be critical. Please, Lord. Soften hearts. I don't want to hurt people. I don't mean to, I promise I'm not trying to point people out. I know people may be thinking that right now, but I'm not. So I pray that if, if people are thinking that, that you would, you would help them see that my heart is soft on this, Lord, please. We love you. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. You're awesome. Thank you for dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. Thank you for the promise of resurrection. Thank you that all the difficulties and heartbreaks and addictions and just mess of this world one day is going to be over when you return. I'm so thankful for you, Lord. We're so thankful for you. And I pray our hearts would just just be warm in in gratitude and, and, and love and thanksgiving for you and just how awesome you are, Lord. So we love you. I thank you for my church family. I thank you that they receive even tough messages. With love and with grace, I love this church, Lord. I'm so thankful for my church family. I love them so much. They're amazing. And so uh, thank you for allowing me to be a pastor here. We praise you. Holy Spirit, just minister to us in a big way and make changes in us. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.